The following is sponsored by Reformation Sites, church websites for a modern Reformation. Visit ReformationSites.com and listen for more at the conclusion of this podcast. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. An operation is the production of an effect outside of God. So whenever God acts outside of God's self, there's, there's something that's coming into being. There's an effect that's coming into being. Hello, welcome to Theology on the Go. My name is Jonathan Master. I am here with my friend, James Dolezal. James, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to a return guest on our show. Yeah, this is uh, this is one that we're both looking forward to, and uh, we we actually had him on not terribly long ago, but uh, he's just come out with a new book uh, entitled "The Divine Missions: An Introduction." Uh, the previous book, just just to remind everyone, that the the previous book that we um, had him on for was was just. I think it was just a year ago, the same God who works all things. So Adonis Vidu, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, thanks, James. Good to see you guys again. Uh, and uh, what a pleasure it is to, to be back on your show within a year, I think, from the first time I was on. I know you're you're writing a, a very scholarly, immensely helpful academic book a year now. Is that the idea? No, no. Uh, actually, <laughs> actually, I wrote this book uh, during the uh, fateful 2020. Uh, okay. During the during the lockdown, we had um, I, the plan was to take about two years to to work on it, um, and um, but the lockdowns came um, and we we stepped out of the classroom and I, I got stuck at home, um, and I guess this was my way of coping with 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 it. Um, I, I became all of a sudden very productive. It was supposed to be a, a book following hot on the heels of, on, of the first one. So it wasn't supposed to bring necessarily new material as much as as much as present some some of the ideas in my earlier book um, at a more introductory level, more popular level. Well, having established that you were far more productive during lockdown than than we were. Uh, I, I do want to move to the actual uh, substance of the book and just begin with a with a very basic question because the book is entitled "The Divine Missions and Introduction." And so, I wonder if you could articulate for our listeners what do theologians mean? What do you mean when you speak about the missions of the Son and Spirit? And 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 perhaps if you could distinguish between missions and tasks or operations. Yeah, sure. Um, and- this is exactly the heart of it. As I was doing research on inseparable operations, it became clear to me that a lot of people, when they are thinking of the mission of the sun, they're thinking in terms of a task. They're thinking in terms of the sun, you know, sort of leaving heaven or leaving the Trinity, uh, leaving the presence of, of the Father and coming down and doing some stuff here and going back up to heaven. And I found that to be a gross caricature of what of what mission as a term means in um, in Orthodox theology. Um, I found that in Orthodox theology, mission mission really means a an extension of the life of the person, an extension of the life and the existence of the triune person. 
such that a created being like us is drawn into and made um, and enabled to participate into the very life of the Son and and the Holy Spirit and therefore the Father. So I I would define mission roughly as I like Rahner's definition in in, in some sense a self self communication of a triune person. So the mission of the Son is is not just him coming down from heaven, doing stuff here, going back up. But but really, it is him giving us a share in his own existence. And that speaks into adoption. Uh, we are adopted sons. We participate in his own sonship and so on. So I wanted to, to, to bring that out as much as, as much as possible, because by bringing that out, uh, it becomes... Uh, it, it becomes more easy to see how a mission is not just is not just an operation. Mission is not just the sun doing things, but but it goes beyond that. It's it's a it's a communication of the sun's existence or the spirit's existence to us. Could we inflect that a little more? Just distinguishing it from because the operations of the sun and spirit, inseparable ad extra, um, precede the redemptive historical missions of the mm-hmm. son and spirit mm-hmm. as you're as you're identifying them i wonder if you could speak about how the missions of the son and spirit particularly or individually are grounded in their odd intra relations so the missions mm-hmm. are what god does it, it, the missions are something that are are created right the missions are created but they are you said they're extensions of something I want to say not created. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What is the specific relation, if we can say that, between the mission and then the relation that constitutes the person within the triune God Himself? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, another way of thinking about mission is, is, is an extension of procession. So, a mission is an extension of procession, and that's the same idea as what I said earlier that the Son and the Spirit extend their own life to incorporate us to include us in the in their own life in their own in their own personality in their own personal existence in in some sense so aquinas would say that this would be his definition of a mission an extension of a procession or an external procession so let me go back a little bit to that distinction between operation and mission an operation is the production of an effect this is how i defined it anyway uh, it's it's the production of an effect outside of God. So whenever God acts outside of God's self, there's there's something that's coming into being. There's an effect that's coming into being, and that effect is the common work of of the triune persons. But in a mission, there's a lot more than some effect coming into being. It's that effect being drawn into the life of the, the life of the Trinity. So, for example, the human nature of Jesus Christ is not just an effect, a common effect of the inseparable work of the Trinity. It is that, but it's not just that. Rather, it's it's that created effect which also receives the personal existence of the Son, such that it is the Son of God incarnate. So is it fair to distinguish between um, the odd intra-processions and the odd, and the odd extra-processions, which mm-hmm. we call missions, as the distinction between the the uncreated going forth and the created going forth is that a with that distinction would you say yeah that i way? think so i think so i mean the mission i mean the processions are internal to the divine essence internal to the being of god right um they do not involve anything outside of the being of god they do not involve 
a splitting of the being of God. And that's what we call him internal. So when the son proceeds from the father, he doesn't proceed from the father outside of the Trinity as, as a baby proceeds from the mother, as it were, outside of the womb and outside of the person, uh, the person of the mother. So when we think about the Trinity, it, I, I, we think about these, these uh, relations and processions that exist within the unity of this, of this substance. But at the same time, God shares this being and, and allows these, these real and irreducible distinctions, allow these to be reflected in the creature, to be, to be given to the creature, or rather, I should say, allows the creature to participate. So again, I'm using the, the magnet analogy that I'm using in, in, the, in the book, where I'm talking about a magnet, um, I mean, in the first book, I'm talking about the magnet as this existence within the unity of the magnet of north and south. And, and the sort of procession of the south from the north, as it were. So whenever the magnet attracts an object, the whole magnet is attracting the object. But when that object is attached to the magnet, say a, a paper clip is attached to the magnet, it participates specifically in one of the poles. In other words, it acquires the, the charge of one of the poles, the, the, magnetic, the magnetic charge uh, of one of the poles and not the other pole. So I think I think there's a lot of similarity in that with with the with the humanity of Jesus. The whole Trinity creates the human nature of Jesus Christ. The whole Trinity draws the human nature, and the whole Trinity unites the human nature to the person of the Son. And nevertheless, that human nature acquires specifically the property of begottenness, only the property of begottenness of the Son. So, so this internal procession, this internal begetting of the Son is extended into this created finite reality uh, in this way. So yeah, we can talk about internal procession and external procession. I like the fact that you describe it as a as a drawing to as it, that really fits even with the assumptive language, particularly with regard to the visible mission of mm -hmm. the incarnation, mm -hmm. where and you say this a couple of times in your book that it's not a leaving of heaven or a kind of evacuative manner mm -hmm. of mission but really it's a drawing of something created into the into union with the person of the sun as sun mm -hmm. um, at mm -hmm. least with the visible mission of the sun right uh, because the because the processions are within the unity of the trinity and you can't just split a procession from that unity and still have the unity of the trinity if the sun were to leave heaven there'd be no no more heaven to come back to <laughs> well said that he doesn't i've heard one say that that for a while he gave up the prostantha on of john 1 1 that he was with god and then he wasn't for a while and then mm -hmm. later on in the in the high priestly prayer he was praying to somehow get back where he came from but as you say there'd be no heaven if the trinity if the trinity were so um broken up in the interim right yes i'll dare a question here could we distinguish between the visible mission of the sun and the visible mission of the spirit. And then also if you could explain or just briefly account for why we distinguish between the visible mission of the sun and the visible mission of the spirit, the distinction between those two, and then also a distinction between the visible missions of the two and the invisible missions of the two. Um, so I know that's, that's a lot, but I'll, I'll pitch it over to you. And mm. how do we distinguish the visible missions of the sun and spirit? Well, the visible mission of the sun is the incarnation. Um, and what a visible mission is, is the union between a triune person and a created effect, which is 
it's a visible creative effect. So we would then say that the visible mission of the of the spirit is Pentecost through the tongues of fire. You might say. Um, there's a question here about what about what about the dove at, at at the spirit's baptism? Is that is that a visible mission of the sun? So I have to say that my work here is somewhat incomplete. Um, I'm a little bit dissatisfied with with how we think historically about the visible mission of the of the spirit because. The union between the spirit and the tongues of fire doesn't seem to be a a permanent union. So it, it, in many ways, it seems more like a theophany. And the same way with um, the, the dove at, at Jesus's baptism. But the point, I think, remains, at least in, in general, that here the spirit gives himself to us to be manifested, at least, to be manifested through some, some kind of visible reality. Phenomenally perceptible. Exactly. But that that still leaves the mission, the, the visible mission, not really well distinguished from a theophany. And that's my little bit of my hesitation here, my hang, my hang up. But um, to stay with that uh, distinction between the Spirit's visible mission and the Son's visible mission, we do want to just articulate very clearly in our theology the, uh, just the uniqueness of, of the Incarnation and the uniqueness of the Son's visible mission. So even though Mary conceives from the Holy Spirit, it is not the humanity of Jesus is not the visible mission of the Holy Spirit, specifically the mission of the Son. Also, the visible mission of the Son comes first because it is in, in the humanity of Jesus Christ that God restores relationship with, with us. He is the high priest. And then the mission, and then the visible mission of the spirit follows from that visible mission of Christ. So there, I'm trying to articulate a very integral relation between the two missions, such that the spirit is tethered to Christ very clearly in his and mission. I'll, I'll just jump in and say, mm -hmm. readers will, some readers will be interested in your argument for that over against certain recent proposals suggesting mm -hmm. that we can put the visible mission of the spirit first, first yeah. um, but I'll, I'll leave that nicety uh, for readers to pursue in the pages themselves. Could you then distinguish secondly, I know secondly, that's yeah. too short, but I'm, I'll, I'll cut you off on it anyway, uh, mm -hmm. between the visible missions and the invisible missions mm -hmm. of each person respectively. Right. So not only do, do, do the sun and the spirit, as the two hands of God in the economy give themselves or manifest themselves to us visibly, but they also give themselves to us invisibly, which means they come to dwell in us. As Jesus says, if you love me, you will, you will, you will obey me, and my Father will love you, and we will come and make our home with you. This is John 14, 23. So this is, I mean, this is in my view, this is the richest understanding of what, what salvation is all about. That in salvation, every individual believer comes to share in the very life of the Trinity and comes to be indwelt by the person of, by the persons of the Trinity, and and these missions are invisible in the sense that that the visible Christ is in heaven. The visible Christ is not here with us, and this is a good thing because if he were here with us, he would be somewhere. He'd be in in he would be in China or he'd be in Romania or he'd be on you know on, on and not in West. Hamilton, Massachusetts. Def definitely not in Hamilton, Massachusetts. Who knows? Right, but so that's that's why it is to to your benefit, as Christ says to the, to the disciples that I that I that I go away, because if I don't go, the Comforter won't come. But this this Comforter, this Holy Spirit, comes is not no one but the Spirit of Christ. So it is again another way of Christ being present with the disciples and with us, with everyone who who has Him in their heart. Does that articulate sufficiently that distinction? 
No, I think it does. It's that Christ in me is not is not um, Christ incarnate. Christ incarnate is in heaven, mm-hmm. but that he, but that still there's a real union that I have with Christ so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But that's not perceptible in the same way that his body is, say, walking on water or eating fish or teaching his disciples. Uh, with the spirit, maybe that's the other side of it is that the distinguish between that visible, phenomenally perceptible, and then also that invisible, continuous mission in which the sun dwells in me as in a temple. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think there 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 are some clear repercussions I think here for our understanding of the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the presence of Christ with us. But yeah, you're right. Uh, the Christ is not is not in me visibly, but he's nevertheless he is he is uh, truly right? he has truly given himself to me through the Spirit specifically. But again, not not through the Spirit as as in a sense uh, as through some intermediary him. He himself being sort of at a distance. So the spirit is not just the delegate of Christ, but but the spirit is the spirit of Christ, and therefore he sort of mediates. He still mediates Christ to me, but he but he mediates a Christ who is also himself present. Right. Yeah. That it's not it's not just a form of remote control, but that the but that it is yeah. really Christ who lives in me. Exactly. In the same way that it is it is truly the Father that the disciples have seen when they have seen Jesus Christ. Right? Uh, right, the the, fa- the father is in me doing these works, Jesus says. So there's there's a mediation there, uh, but at the same time there there's a there's an unbreakable unity bet- between the two and between the three, uh, to be sure. But I, I I just I think this is really essential for us because it, it tells us that our connection and our, and our relationship with with God is is somehow focused specifically in the humanity of Jesus Christ. It's the humanity of Jesus Christ that is. Well, he is the gateway, right? He is the sheep's gate, and and through the, and through that humanity, we are in the Trinity. But that humanity is something we share in now, specifically through the Holy Spirit. A final question for you, uh, and it's a two-parter. What is the end of the missions? To what end do the missions of the Son and Spirit bring us? And then, secondly, do their missions end when we reach that end? Well, I think the end of the missions is this return to the Father. It's it's the return of the whole creation to be with the Father. It's it's not this is not this is not Neoplatonism. This is not some kind of pantheistic absorption into the whole, some kind of loss of the human self into the whole. No, uh, but the the end of the mission is is this restoration of the longing, well, the fulfillment of the heart's longing to be with God, to be with the Father, and I think that. In that sense, um, the missions the missions never end because Christ continues to have his humanity. The Son, I should say. The, the Son continues to have his humanity. He continues to intercede for us with the Father in heaven. So there's still he's still on mission, as it were. And even and even eschatologically, when there will be no more no more sin conditions, so to speak, when all will be bliss and enjoyment of the Father. It's still going to be an enjoyment of God in in the presence of Christ's humanity, in the presence of the Son's humanity. So, so in the, in that sense, um, uh, that bodily visible uh, extension of the Son's procession is still going to be, in in some very real sense, the medium of our enjoyment of God, in a way that I would that I would really fear to articulate much. Right. I, I won't detail. put you on the spot to yeah. to perfectly define beatific vision for us. Yeah, no, I try to. I try to. I think I come very close to 
I think I come very close to sinning in in um in in just how how I try to articulate it. But but uh, you know, well, I won't tempt yeah. I won't tempt you further. Then yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> So, so we should we should think of the sun's mission, uh, visible mission, as continuing for, to eternity. Maybe this answers the question that sometimes comes up: Is he still incarnate in heaven? And the answer is: Is he still on mission in heaven? Uh, and that should yeah. come be part of the answer, right? If you define mission in that way, if you define mission as the extension of the of the procession into to a created reality, yeah, there's still a human nature. In heaven, yeah, indeed, transfigured, glorified, whatever, but still human, still, still in some sense, well, still created. Um, right. so, so yeah, there's still a mission, and of course, this is this is why defining mission in this way, as opposed to simply a task, helps us to understand why there's still a humanity of Jesus Christ there, of the Son in heaven. Because otherwise, if the task would be complete, what would be the point of of that ongoing humanity in heaven? And yeah, heaven indeed is going to be the enjoyment of the unfettered presence of God, but at the same time enjoying the wedding, the wedding banquet, uh, and where the Lamb is going to be our lamp uh, in heaven, in the very humanity of Jesus Christ. So it's both a bodily, there's both a bodily um, uh, aspect of the vision as well as a, as well as a spiritual dimension of the of the vision, and these two go hand in hand. Well, Dr. Vidu, thank you for this uh, brief tour um, through your book, and uh, really want to encourage our listeners to pick up a copy of the Divine Missions and Introduction, just so they can drill in more deeply. It's not a it's not a long book, but I I found that it is a it's a relentless book, uh, mm -hmm. which is I like books like that. The books mm -hmm. where ev every page counts and is worth the space it occupies on my shelf. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for this wonderful introduction. Thank you. Yeah, Donis, thank you very much for coming on with us. We don't we don't wish for another lockdown, but we we want you to keep writing. So <laughs> uh thank you. Thank you very much, guys. It was a pleasure to be with you and thanks for the excellent questions. Well, I hope to have you back again soon. I hope so. Look forward to it. Well, James, this is I think an an important book in a lot of ways probably not a book for everyone. I mean, I hesitate to say that because we think so highly of Adonis Vidu's work, but you know, it is some there there are technical aspects to this. But but I want to I want to actually and and so I want you to talk a little bit about the audience or, or how you think people should approach this and at what point they should approach it. But there's a great quote that he has in there that I thought was illustrated by the conversation, which is he he says a right understanding of these invisible invisible missions uh, of the Son and the Spirit help us avoid the domestication of the supernatural mystery of the gospel, and that kept reverberating in my mind as I heard the two of you talking because one of the things that really reflecting on divi the divine missions does is it makes you realize that the. Uh, the very truncated version of the gospel that we usually summarize it with um, is just sort of scratching the surface of this unbelievable work of the triune God. It often feels like just something performed outside of us and for us, kind of a right. kind of a an extrinsic benefit. Uh, where I think what Adonis is getting at is that is that deeper reality that the Christian yeah. life is in fact communion with the triune God 
Right. Not not just in a kind of I have sentimentally positive thoughts about God, but that in fact I am a temple of the Holy Spirit even at this moment. Uh, and that the spirit dwells in me and that Christ dwells in me by the ministry of the spirit and that through them, I have access to the father now. And when he talks about this being brought up into the divine life, he's obviously not talking about a quaternity where you or I become the fourth or fifth member of the Godhead. Certainly not that we don't lose the creator creature distinction. Even the missions of the son and spirit are created extensions of those processions. Um, but there's a, but there's a real sense of which the end of the of the Christian life is, in fact, even as we say in Westminster Shorter Catechism one, the enjoyment of God, and the missions are the means by which the enjoyment and the communion with God and real communion, um, real communion, where it is in fact the Spirit in me and Christ in me, um, and the Father with whom I dwell, uh, as the end. So I, I think that this. Maybe the Puritans would have even called it mystical. There was a time in my life I didn't like that language um, because of all the abuses it could be subject to. But there is something in union with Christ and in the indwelling of the Spirit and communion with God that is that is mystical, that shouldn't be domesticated so that that supernatural, extraordinary elevation of our human nature, not beyond its humanity or beyond its createdness, but to a supernatural level of enjoyment and fellowship, that the missions are vital to understanding how it is that God is doing that work in us. Well, and if you think about the New Testament and the way in which even we're exhorted to live and and grow in our Christian lives and, and the way in which sanctification is portrayed, very often it it, it is um, based upon uh, these kinds of realities of our real communion with God uh, by the Holy Spirit. So it's it's um, y- your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore. And so right. if I were making a pitch to someone to spend some time and mental energy reflecting on the divine missions, I think that might be part of the pitch that it's always worthwhile to reflect on on God and the things of God and, and even in a deep and technical way. But but it's immensely practical. It's it's really part of the whole shape of of sanctification in the New Testament. I think, in addition to just to, to back to Adonis's book, I think that's exact. I think that's exactly right. That the that the good works and the love and the charity, the love, flows out of this indwelling, the the current invisible missions of the Son and Spirit. Uh, so that if you want to understand sort of the powerhouse from wh- you know, if I say be good, don't sin, keep yourself pure, um, it's not just a matter of you know, goodwill bearing down the res- the immediate vital resource for all those, for all of that is the invisible mission of the son and spirit um, right. in me, with me. Uh, two, one other point I wanted to make about uh, Adonis's book. Uh, I mentioned that it's brevity. The text is only 111 pages long. And while I said he doesn't, I mean, it's, it's relentless, but it's only 111 pages long. So I want to say, 
you're right. It's not for everyone. It's an introductory, but it's also not, it's also not his same God who works all things level right. of intensity either. It's something in between there. I want to also point out that he includes a glo- a really helpful glossary at the end of the book to help with several of the, of the technical terms. Uh, and I found that that part was very helpful and it's going it, to, that's going to just, just the glossary alone is going to open up the accessibility of the book for, uh, a whole host of reader, readers that might have otherwise felt sort of locked out. Um, he does a he does a very good job bringing you in in terms of the verbiage. Well, this conversation went a little longer than ours normally do, but I knew it would, and uh, it was worth it. And I think we we both would agree it could have been uh, you know five times as long. And uh, Adonis Vidu is, is is such a good thinker and such a such an excellent conversation partner. Well, and so we're we're grateful to you as our listeners for hanging in with us uh, through this interview. If you if you're interested in uh, possibly winning a copy of this book, The Divine Missions: An Introduction. You can go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link, and there'll be a place there for you to enter your information. If you know someone who might be helped by this, either this particular episode or other episodes of Theology on the Go, please pass it along to them. We love hearing from you, so if you have uh, advice or topic suggestions, please let us know. If you can rate and review the podcast, that helps us spread the word, and if you're able to donate to Theology on the Go or to the work of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, you can do that on placefortruth.org or at alliancenet.org. Both of those have a prominently displayed donate button. As always, we thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hey there, this is Eric from Reformation Sites. These days, having an effective church website is vital to ministry. Unfortunately, it's not easy to find someone in your church to put together a site that reaches out to visitors and ministers to members. That's what Reformation Sites does for your church. With beautiful, mobile-ready designs to choose from, helpful service, and useful features, your website will be ready when people are searching for churches in your area. It also integrates with many popular services like sermon audio, live streaming, and online giving with pricing that fits into any church budget. We want to help your church start off strong this year, which is why in January we're offering 40% off the website setup fee. Get started today by using coupon code RS40 when you go to ReformationSites.com. Reformation Sites. Church websites for a modern reformation.